Welcome to church. Welcome those of you watching online as well. Isn't it good to be at church today? Yeah, great to be at church today. Uh, my name is Nick McCall. I'm the Life Stages pastor here at, at Thorn Creek Church. Uh, I'm grateful I get to bring the word today. Um, if you're just joining us, we're in a series right now on the book of Hebrews, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, really. And we started this um, about six weeks ago. We're on week seven of this series, which means we're in chapter seven. Um, I think it's good to give a little bit of context just to remind us of the condition of the people that the author was writing to. Uh, so just real briefly, there's a real purpose behind this letter, the letter to the Hebrews. Um, these people were Jewish Christians who were recent uh, converts from Judaism and experiencing a lot of persecution from Rome, uh, primarily Roman Emperor Nero, a lot of persecution. And so many of them were, were fleeing. Many of them were walking away from their faith. Uh, many of them were just struggling. Many of them were tempted to walk away from their faith to either some watered-down version of Christianity or just to go back to, to Judaism. And so a lot of what's written in the book of Hebrews is with that in mind. So just keep that in mind. The author spends a lot of the first part of Hebrews just talking about how Jesus is greater than all kinds of things. And all these various examples, whether it's the prophets or the angels or it's Moses. Today we're going to talk about even references of Jesus is greater than Abraham. And so that's really the purpose and the, and the point of where we're at as we look in the book of Hebrews. Um, and so here we're at today. We're in Hebrews chapter 7. There's 28 verses in Hebrews chapter 7, but these are a real meaty 28 verses. There's a lot here. And so I'm not going to cover all 28. We're going to kind of summarize a little bit and cover as much of this as we can. I couldn't cover it in our 40 minutes together. It's too much. It's too rich. There's so much here. So we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 7. I encourage you, those of you who are able, uh, to stand with us as we read. I like we've been doing this each week um, as we stand and as we read the Word of God. So Hebrews chapter 7. Here we go. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And skip with me to verse 11. It says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people that established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. And then skip with me to verse 20. It says, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but, but he became a priest with an oath, when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. And this is a big but in the Bible. But because Jesus lives forever, amen, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hallelujah. Amen. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, 
blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise your name. We love you. We're here in your presence, and we ask God speak to us. Lord, I just personally, I just want to ask you to speak your word through me. God, speak through me according to Isaiah 61. May your Holy Spirit rest upon me and, and speak through me. And Lord, I pray that your word is, is, is heard today that falls on good soil. Um, God, speak where you need to speak. Convict where you need to speak. Uh, convict. Heal where you need to heal. Have your way in all of us, God. We worship you. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So Hebrews chapter 7, um, it's broken up into two parts. The first 10 verses really talks about this, this name, this Melchizedek. Has anybody ever heard of this name before? Very interesting person in Scripture. We're going to talk a lot about him tonight. He's this mysterious person. He only appears three times in the entire Bible. Um, Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and various places in the book of Hebrews. Very, very interesting person in Scripture. We're going to talk about him tonight. Um, and then the second part of Hebrews really talks about how Jesus is like Melchizedek. Okay, it makes this comparison how Jesus is like him. Um, in, in chapter 2, the author explains that Jesus is like Melchizedek and the fact that Jesus became our high priest forever. And through Jesus, we have eternal forgiveness of our sins. So we got a lot to talk about today. I'm excited. So let's dive in. Uh, again, let's keep in mind the audience um, to the, the, the book of Hebrews was written to. These are Jewish Christians. Their real roots are in Judaism. They know the Old Testament very well. They know the Torah. They know the ceremonies. They know the liturgies. They understand what it means to go to church. They understand God's word. Okay? So keep that in mind because since this is who they are, the author is using language that's important to them, that's relevant to them. And, and, and again, the whole focus is don't leave Jesus. Don't walk away from Jesus. Jesus is greater. That is a big theme in the book of Hebrews. Okay, so he's, he's using this language that they understand, and they had heard this name Melchizedek before. But he's this interesting person in scriptures. Anybody like watching movies? You guys like movies? Um, you know how when you watch a movie, sometimes in the very beginning of the movie, they'll introduce a character, and he, seem, he or she seems really insignificant in the beginning. You almost forget about that character. You forget they were even there. And then at the end of the movie, there's like, a, oh, it was him. It was this person I didn't even think, I didn't even expect. That's a lot like Melchizedek here in the story. Okay? He, he appears very in the beginning in Genesis 14, but very, very quickly, he's just kind of like a shooting star. You know, when he, appear, when he appears, it's rare, but he shines really bright for a second, and then he's gone. And if you don't pay attention, you'll miss him. That's, that's kind of how Melchizedek here is in the Bible. Just a few things about him. Uh, we don't know much, but um, we do know he's the first priest mentioned in the Bible. In fact, super interesting, Melchizedek, he's mentioned as a priest before the priesthood was even established. The priesthood is established hundreds of years later. 
But he's mentioned as a priest, which is interesting. And he's first mentioned in Genesis 14, where he pronounces a, a blessing on, on Abram. And Abram thanks him by giving him a tithe, pays him 10% of his earnings. Um, he was both king and priest. And his name means king of righteousness. And he is the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Righteousness and peace. Does that sound familiar? Righteousness and peace. It points to Jesus. And the other thing about him is we don't know his lineage. We don't know genealogy. We don't know much about him. But we first see him in Genesis chapter 14. Here it is. Verse 17 says, After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out, what did he bring out, church? Bread and wine. Isn't that interesting? He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Interesting here, okay? So we know that Abram had just finished a battle, and he was victorious. Um, he was returning home when he's met by this mysterious person who's who's a priest of God, the Most High. And, and notice what he brings to him. He brings to him bread and wine. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to put two and two together and be like, hey, wait a minute, Jesus did that, didn't he? When he met with the disciples at the Last Supper, he brought bread and he brought wine. And it was communion for the first time. Jesus brought that to them. And so this is why many scholars believe Melchizedek is this person in the Bible who's an early representation of Jesus, foreshadowing what is to come. He, he represents him after he offers him bread and wine. It says he gave him a blessing and, and Abram pays him a tithe. Here it is in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then Melchizedek, this Melchizedek, was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. So he's given this title of, of both king and priest, and he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace, both of which point us to Jesus, our righteousness and our peace, pointing to Jesus. But it's really interesting. He's the king of Salem because Salem comes from the Greek word shalem, and that word comes from the root Hebrew word shalom, okay? Shalom, which means, we have a slide for that. Go ahead and throw that up there. Shalem means peace or complete. Now, Salem later becomes part of Jerusalem. Interesting, right? Jerusalem, both meaning peace. So he's the king of Salem, which is short for Jerusalem, which will later become the capital of Abraham's future family, so on and so forth. Are you seeing all the connections here? Don't you love when everything just comes together? It's so cool. And, and it says that Abraham paid him a tithe. Um, this was, it was traditional to give a tenth of one's earnings to the gods. And so Abraham was just kind of following in this, this tradition. And this was also to show, and this part's really important, that Jesus was greater, is greater than Abraham, greater than Abraham, because Abraham paid a tithe 
to Melchizedek, which means Melchizedek is placed here, Abraham is placed here. Remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to these Jewish Christians who are converts from Judaism. Their roots are in the Old Testament. They understand. So he's putting Melchizedek above Abraham. And earlier on in the book of Hebrews, we, talked, we read about how he talks about how Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. And now Jesus is greater than Abraham, the patriarch. He's really painting a picture. He wants these people to have no doubt that Jesus is it. Jesus is the top, right? Jesus is the best. He wants them to know there's no one greater than Jesus. They should not go back to Judaism because Jesus is all there is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Don't forget that there. And then he continues to talk about Melchizedek in, in verse 3. He says, and this is all interesting, listen to this. It says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Okay, so he's now making another connection to Jesus. Um, the scriptures record no beginning, no end of Melchizedek. He is not saying, and this is important, he's not saying that Melchizedek does not have a beginning or that he does not have an end. He's not saying he does not have a lineage. He's just saying it's not recorded. Okay, It's not written down anywhere. Now, this is significant because for the Jews, if it wasn't recorded, it didn't happen. If it was not written down, you couldn't prove it, 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 it it's false. didn't happen. So having things recorded... For the Jews is incredibly, incredibly important, okay? If you didn't have a record of your birth or your family heritage, you couldn't even prove your existence. It was that, you need that birth certificate. You got to show, okay, who's father, who's your father? You know, what's your family lineage? It's incre incredibly important. And this was especially important for those who worked in the temple. If you couldn't prove your family lineage, you couldn't serve as a priest in the temple, you had to be a descendant in the tribe of Levi. And if you couldn't prove that, you couldn't serve there. You couldn't work there. So we have these, these kind of titles for him, without father or mother. This one's interesting. It's open to interpretation. There's a couple different ways you can take this. There's two ways. The first one is that he's an orphan or, or an illegitimate child. Um, parents, they don't know who the parents are. Uh, or it means that the parents are no longer living. Okay, so that that's, could be. But the second interpretation, which is more likely here, is that it's referring to him as a deity. Referring to him as a deity. The second thing it says, without genealogy, and again I mentioned, it just means there's no recorded genealogy here. There's no recorded family lineage. It says that he's without beginning of days or, or end of life. He has no beginning and he has no, other, he has no end. The only other person in Scripture we see that of is... God, Yahweh, right? No beginning and no end. So this points us even more to believe that Melchizedek is this person who's representing Jesus in the Old Testament. And the last thing we see is he is resembling the Son of God. He's resembling Jesus. Um, there's a Greek word that's used. I was doing a lot of research on this. There's a Greek word that's used here, and this Greek word is really important. The word is aphomoiominos. That one's hard to pronounce. I had to look it up. I had to listen to a YouTube video on how to pronounce that one. It was a little tough. But it means made to resemble. This is really important because there's been 
various interpretations Christians have made about this person, Melchizedek. Some have thought he was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Um, it, that, based on this Greek word here, would, would be inaccurate because it says that he was made to resemble Christ. Not made to resemble. In fact, Melchizedek is a mirror through which we can see the reflection of the Son of God. Um, I need to make this distinction. He's, he's, he's made to resemble Christ, but Christ does not resemble Melchizedek. Kevin Anderson said it well. He said, the Son of God does not resemble Melchizedek. Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. Therefore, Melchizedek cannot be equal to the Son of God. Jesus and Melchizedek are similar, not identical. Okay? So he's this mysterious person in the Bible. He's got no beginning. He's got no end. There's all these similarities. But why is the author talking about all this? What's, what's the point? Okay, why do we need to know about this Melchizedek person? And here's the point. Here it is right here. It's that he wants the people to understand that the old priesthood is gone. The old way of, 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 of uh, getting priests is no longer here. The old way of becoming a priest through the family line and, and the old law is gone. Jesus has become this new priest once and for all. And this is kind of the overall theme here. Psalm 110, this is the only other time in the entire Old Testament that we even see Melchizedek appear. Okay, it's Genesis 14 and it's Psalm 110. Psalm 110 was, was referenced in Hebrews chapter 7. And it says this, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus would become a priest in the order of Melchizedek. All the other priests became priests in the order of Aaron. You guys tracking with me? You had to be in the family line of Aaron. You had to be a Levite in order to be a priest. This is something entirely different. Jesus comes in the order of Melchizedek, who has no beginning. He has no end. He has no lineage. He's just this interesting First, in this representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. So let me give you a little family tree to help you kind of understand where this is coming from. So it all starts with Abraham. Abraham eventually has a son named Isaac. You guys got that, right? Isaac and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, later his name it becomes Israel because Jacob has 12 sons. All 12 of those sons become the descendants of of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of those sons was named Levi, okay? All the descendants of Levi, which by the way, Moses and Aaron, their brothers, they are from the tribe of Levi. 400 years later, they are determined as priests. All the priests come from the family line of Levi. So you had to be a descendant of Levi in order to be a priest, and you had to be a direct descendant of Aaron to be the high priest. You guys tracking with me? I know I've just like given you a ton of information, but it's all really important to understanding Hebrews chapter 7. And so now Psalm 110 comes around hundreds of years later that says, hey, there's someone coming in the order of Melchizedek and he will be priest forever. It doesn't say Jesus in Psalm 110, but it's talking about Jesus See, the order of Melchizedek is different because it's a lasting priesthood. It's without beginning. It's without end. And the author is saying that Jesus is the one who will take over, and not by the law, 
but by an oath. By the new covenant, Jesus will take over, and Jesus has no beginning, no end. Jesus will take over, and here's why this is important to us. Because there is no end to Jesus' love and forgiveness for you. There's no end. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. His love for you has no end. His love for you has no limits. It has no conditions. There's not a list of things you have to do to be loved by Jesus. You just exist. And Jesus says, I love you. I have plans for you. I have a life for you. There's no end to my love for you. All of us need to hear that today. Don't you forget that. Don't you forget there's no end to Jesus' love for you. No end. No matter your past, you can approach Jesus. And you can receive love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. Glory to God. Glory to God. And because Jesus lives forever, there's no end to the goodness God can do in your life. And Jesus had to come. He had to come and die because humanity, we are hopeless. We could never accomplish what we need to do on our own. The priesthood, what they tried to do, it was a band-aid. It, wasn't, it wouldn't save you forever. Jesus had to come. He had to live a perfect life. He had to be sacrificed. He had to be the perfect sacrifice and the priest, fulfill both roles for us and make it possible for us to experience forgiveness from sin. Not only was he the sacrifice, he became the high priest. We're going to talk about that more because that's interesting. But the author talks about this in verse 11. He says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. These two verses are critically important for the understanding of why Jesus had to come and sacrifice and die for our sins. Because perfection could never be attained through human effort. Priests were flawed. They were prone to sin. When they would go and offer sacrifices, first they had to do atonement for their own sin and then for the sins of the people. Jesus came without sin and he was the perfect sacrifice. Do you understand that he took the place of both? It had to be done. There was no other way for humanity to be saved. You and I could never do it on our own strengths. We can't save ourselves. That's why we need a savior. That's why he's called savior, Messiah, and God, something else had to be done. We need a savior. And so Jesus changed the rules. He changed the game. By the old law, people had to go through various hoops and methods in order to cleanse themselves from sin. Before Jesus, you had to have a priest because the priest was your only connection to God. For those of you who grew up Catholic, when you think of a priest, you probably think of someone in a black robe with a white collar, right? By an Old Testament definition, a priest is someone who speaks to God on someone else's behalf. They would go to the priest, the priest would perform the sacrifice and, and speak to God on their behalf, and the priest would help them find atonement for their sins. The priest would, they would, they would bring an animal to the priest, and the priest would, this part's kind of graphic, but the priest would like slit the throat of the animal, pour the blood on the altar, burn some of the animal, sacrifice the animal on the altar, and pray to God, and that was how people received forgiveness 
from their sins. During those days, it was the priests who would connect the people to God. And if you were not a priest, you didn't have this direct access to God. You had to go to the temple where the presence of God was behind the back curtain in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that was where God's presence was. And the priests would go there. Once a year, they could go inside the Holy of Holies and they could perform atonement. And I shouldn't say perform. They could do these sacrifices, these rituals. They would follow these protocols in order for people to receive forgiveness from their sins. So this whole role of priest is super important. And what's, I learned this, I didn't know this, but a priest oftentimes would tie a rope around themselves before they entered the Holy of Holies because if they were found not holy enough or they did something wrong, they could die in the Holy of Holies and no one was allowed to enter there. So if the priest died, they would just pull the rope and drag the priest out because no one was going to go in there and sacrifice their own life. The role of priest was huge. It was huge. And I don't know if many of us understand this today in our day and age. We're so blessed we have Jesus. We're like, I just talked to him. I, I talked to Jesus every day. I talked to him five minutes ago, right? We just have this relationship. We don't know how good we have it, people. You don't have any clue how good you have it. That Jesus just loves you because he loves you. And you're covered, you're changed, you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to walk through all these hoops and, and do all these things. Which is why Jesus was declared in Psalm 110 by an oath to be our priest. That's why Jesus had to die such a painful death. Because Jesus took on the role of the animal, became the sacrifice, and entered the Holy of Holies, tore the curtain in two, unleashed the Holy Spirit, and made it possible for everyone to experience life and relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's because of Jesus that we can know the love and power and glory of God in our lives. I wanted to show you an illustration. You guys are like, are we having a wedding? That's what I kept thinking of when I saw that. Um, but I want to show you guys a, an illustration because I want us to kind of understand what happened here. The difference between Jesus and the priesthood. That the priesthood was kind of this temporary band-aid for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And so what would happen is the people would, would enter the temple and they would bring their animal Right? And they would, they would perform, the priest would perform the sacrifice. But what happened is as soon as they left, they would sin again. They would, the sacrifice was kind of, a, kind of a temporary fix. And eventually it would, it would run out again. And they'd have to go back to the temple again. They'd have to go back to the priest again. Because the moment they left, the atonement was already, like the atonement for the past sins was good. But what about for the sins of right now? What about the sins they, they commit? They get an argument on their way out and they say some things to their spouse they didn't mean to say. And now they got to go back again to, to receive more forgiveness. It was a band-aid fix. It was temporary. But what happened with Jesus, when Jesus came, when Jesus said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for all of humanity. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to be sinless. I'm going to die for everyone. What he did was he took on permanently the weight of our sin, the weight of our shame, and he contained all of it. And it has no leaks. It has no holes. Do you understand that the forgiveness that Jesus has for you is permanent? That the life that you can live in Jesus is permanent because Jesus said, I love you enough. I'll go and I'll suffer and I'll die. I'll be the sacrifice. I will take on the role of priest and sacrifice for you. And Jesus became 
the ultimate sacrifice. And then what's beautiful is when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see your mistakes and your flaws. All of us have them, but he says, all I see is Jesus. All I see is my son. Thank you, Jesus. We are an empty, clean, there's not even a residue. This analogy fails right here because you can see the residue of sin. Scripture says that Jesus washes us white as snow. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. He continues here in verse 20. It says, And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, and this is Psalm 110 right here, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. This is incredibly significant. Remember earlier I mentioned that only descendants of Levi, only if you were in the the tribe of Levi could you become a priest, and only direct descendants of Aaron could become the high priest. But that was by the law, never by an oath. Jesus entered a different way. It's not by the law because the law was imperfect. Because people were imperfect. Because people were flawed. So Jesus enters a different way. He enters by an oath from God. He did what no priest could ever do because they were imperfect. Jesus became the perfect high priest. He became the the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He did what no one else could do. And verse 24 says he is our guarantee that God is fulfilling his promise to us. Jesus is the seal. Jesus is the guarantee that God says, I love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the life you've lived. As long as you believe in me, you love me, you come to me, you repent of your sins, you can be forgiven and clean and washed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the guarantee. He's the guarantee. You can't have this without Jesus. He's the guarantee. Romans 8 verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. God saw the problem and knew something needed to change. He knew if humanity had any hope at all, we needed, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. It's all about Jesus. On our own, we're no match for sin. On your own, you're no match for sin. You think you can live this life and and somehow live a perfect life and and not sin and, and be beyond the grace of God? None of us. We all need the grace of God and we all need Jesus. We are powerless when it comes to sin and death, but God stepped in and did what we could never do. He said, I'll change the game. I'm going to change the rules because this isn't cutting it. And God said, I love you too much to leave you in this state. And he sends Jesus. This is why John 3.16 is so important. This is why John 3.16 has so much meaning. This is why you see it at football games. People get it you know, on their eye and get it tattooed and everywhere. 
John 3.16 says, For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. He loved you. He loved me. He loved the world. He loved the world he created. And it's because of love that you and I are even breathing today. It's because of love that we're even here, that we even have life. It's because of love. And the most important thing you and I have to do, according to John 3.16, is believe in Jesus. Surrender your life. Recognize you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And once you realize, check this out, once you realize that you are no match for sin, and once you realize just how desperately you need a Savior, you will want nothing more than to fully surrender your life and live completely for Jesus. Once you realize, I can't do this on my own. I'm powerless. I'm flawed. I'm human. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. That's when you say, I'm done with the games. I'm done with the lies. I'm done pretending. I'm done trying to make it through this life on my own. And you finally put both hands in the air and you say, Jesus, I surrender. And for real this time, I surrender to you because I need you, because I can't live without you, because I recognize how desperate I am for you. And that's when you want to fully surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus is the only way. There's no plan B. There's no other option. There's nothing else for you. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It will only ever be Jesus. So stop running from him. Turn towards him. Run into his arms. Trust him and live for him. Stop playing the games. What are you waiting for? You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. And you can't live this lukewarm life. You can't be half in and half out. Jesus says, I want all of you. Give me everything. Give me your life. Surrender to me. You need me. Yeah, Jesus, we do. We do need you. We need you. Verse 23 says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a, what church? Permanent priesthood. Permanent priesthood. Verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely. That's a big word. Save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Saved completely, not partially, not halfway. The jar is empty. Jesus says, I took all of it. I took all of your sin. I took all of your shame. You belong to God. You belong to him. You've been saved completely in Jesus' name. That means your past doesn't haunt you anymore. You understand that? It means the things that you're ashamed of, you're embarrassed of, the things that you're making yourself feel guilty for. God's saying, can we get past that, please? Because I got more things for you. I got more things I want to do through you, but you're dwelling on your past. Can you let it go? Because it's holding you back. God says, I don't even see that anymore. I don't even, I don't even think about you like that anymore. God says, 
Turn your back on your past and start following me. You know who wants you to dwell on your past? Satan. You know why? Because it keeps you from moving forward. He wants you to be like, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, I'm a bad person. Yeah, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. And you can just, if he can keep you sulking, he'll keep you from moving. God says, there's more to do. This life is short. You think you got forever. You don't. Turn your back on your past. Turn to follow Jesus. It is only by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that we can be saved. Only by the blood of Jesus. When it comes to sin, it can be easy for people to fall into this trap of thinking that God has a certain threshold or something. Like you sin up to a certain point and then all of a sudden you get past that point and then you feel like God doesn't see you anymore. God doesn't hear you anymore. God is distant. God says you're not good enough. I'm going to focus on other people. For some, I don't know why we get to this point, but we think we get to a point in our lives where we've sinned too much. And now all of a sudden the scales are tipped the wrong way and we're beyond grace, but that's not how grace works. That's not how forgiveness works. Jesus says it like this all the time. You are not separated from God because Jesus took care of that. People will fall into the trap of thinking they're not good enough. They're like, I'm not good enough to be close to God. You don't understand the things I've done. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not that person. That's why people don't go to church. You know people in your life that say, I can't walk in that place. I don't belong there. Yes, they do. We all belong here. We all belong here. We also know that Jesus paid the price for our sins and he doesn't hold that against us. Have you ever felt like you're not measuring up? You ever felt like God is too far? You ever been frustrated with yourself because you just feel like you keep messing up, that you can't get it right, that you feel like there's this magic formula and if you don't follow the formula perfectly, that you're never going to measure up? Do you ever feel like that? You know where that comes from? It's a lie. It comes from the father of lies. The truth is you will never measure up. That's the whole point. Because we're human. God says, I called you to be holy. I've called you to live a holy life. And that's what we strive for. But we'll never be good enough. We all need the grace of God. And it's not that sin isn't a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It's because of sin that Satan was cast out of heaven. Yes, sin's a big deal. But Jesus says, I took care of that. Just believe me, follow me, trust me, live for me. And when you have a right understanding of who Jesus is, our attitudes and our beliefs and our thoughts, when we miss the mark, make things completely different. When we have the right understanding of who Jesus is, we recognize we need a savior and our need for forgiveness. When we lose sight of who Jesus is, that's when we start to believe those toxic lies that aren't true. When you lose sight of Jesus, that's when bad theology creeps in. When you lose sight of Jesus, that's when we believe we need to make it up to God in some way. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies that tell you you'll never quit that addiction. You'll never be the husband or wife or friend they deserve. Don't believe the lies that say you'll never be a better parent. You'll never be a better friend. You'll never fill in the blank for you, whatever that is. Don't believe those lies. They come from one place and they come from hell. And they should stay there. Cast them away. That's why it's so important for us to remember who Jesus is. Because when you think to yourself, I'm a failure, I'm a joke, I'm a fake, I'll never be good enough. When you allow those thoughts to creep in, 
you miss the whole point of God's grace and love for you. And it's on our worst days that we need to remember who Jesus is. Jesus has said, I love you. I died for you. You are mine. You're my child. Hebrews 7 brings to light who Jesus really is. Even on your worst days, Jesus doesn't change. Let me tell you something else. Even on your worst days, Jesus still gives you his best. Need to hear it again? Even on your worst days, Jesus' grace is still sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made what? Perfect in weakness. Glory to God. Understand this. Jesus, as our high priest, says, My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. I know you feel weak. Don't worry, because when you're weak, I'm strong. When you're weak, that's where I take over. I'm strong. Jesus is able to save completely those who go to God through him. We are saved completely because of Jesus. He finishes up the chapter, verses 26 through 28. He says, such a high priest, by the way, he's talking about Jesus. (laughs) Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus became our hope. Jesus became our salvation. Jesus became the sacrifice that you and I needed. He's perfect. He doesn't have to make sacrifices every day. He's perfect. We have a hope. And this hope he's talking about, I'm going to close with these two verses, comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This wraps it up for us. Jesus came and he entered a different way. He didn't enter through the law. He didn't, he didn't live a life of sin. Instead, he lived a perfect life. He became high priest Forever, He became the sacrifice and the priest in the order of Melchizedek who has no beginning, has no end. And Jesus says, I got you covered. I'm going to take care of all of it. I'm going to flip the world upside down and it's because of me that you are saved. It's because of Jesus. So here's what you and I need to do. We need to fully embrace that. We need to live our lives in light of that. We need to live in recognizing that we have a Savior who died on the cross for our sins, who made things right for us. We have it so good, we don't even realize. We are just rich with grace. We are rich with forgiveness. Our cups are running over all over the place. We're just spilling everywhere because God has just lavishly just poured his love and his grace on us. So stop living a life of guilt. Stop living a life of shame. Stop thinking about that past, that thing that you've done, that thing that you're ashamed of, that life that you lived. That's not you anymore. And you know it's not you anymore, so stop telling yourself it is. Let it go. 
God says, we got things to do. I got plans for you. I got a life for you. Let it go. You don't need a priest. I took care of that for you. Let it go. You don't need a sacrifice. I took care of that for you. Let it go. Stop living in guilt. Let it go. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are humbled, honored, realizing, God, we're not even, what are we doing? We're not even worthy. Why, God? Why us? Why me? Why us? God, why did you send Jesus to die for us even though you knew we were going to fail? Even though you knew there would be people that would turn their backs on you? Why? Because you loved first. Because you so loved the world. And that love is unconditional. I'll never get over that, God. I'll never get over how you unconditionally love us even though, man, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But you're so good, Lord. You're so good. I'm grateful, God, that your grace is not dependent on me, on us. I'm grateful that we can let the past go. I'm grateful that we have a new high priest. His name is Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I encourage you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I I surrender. I give you my life. I know I need you. I can't, can't save myself. I can't do this on my own. Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Set me free from my shame and my guilt. Help me to let my past go. I want to follow you, Jesus, today. Starting today, I follow you, Jesus. Becoming a Christian right now, and I want to follow you. Show me how, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.